Welcome to tape number 9 of Truth's Victory Over Error, or the True Principles of the Christian Religion by David Dixon. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. There is no copyright on this material, and we encourage you to reproduce it and pass it on to your friends. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, T6L3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you do have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to add at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. And now to our reading of Truth Victory Over Error by David Dixon, which we pray you find to be a great blessing and which we hope draws you near to the Lord Jesus Christ. Continuing our reading of Truth's Victory Over Error, Chapter 25 of the Church, Question Number 3. Doth the visible Church consist of all those throughout the world that profess the Christian religion, together with their children? Yes. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2, Psalm 2, verse 8, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 14. Well then, do not the Donatists and the Baptists the Anabaptists and Puritans of old, so truly named heir, who affirm the visible church to consist of those only that are pious and holy? Yes. Do not likewise the independence heir, who think none ought to be members of the visible church, save those who in the judgment of men, very spiritual and discerning, are esteemed true believers? and saints who have given sufficient proof of their knowledge in the fundamentals of religion, who have reported in order and given a good account of the experimental work of the conversion and effectual calling, who have showed their conversation in the world to have been without the omission of any known duty or commission of any known fault, and that for a considerable length of time? Yes. Do not lastly the Quakers err who think the only visible church of God on earth to be themselves and all others not of their professions and practice to be unregenerate and wanting or lacking the spirit? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because the visible church is compared to a garner in which there is not only wheat but chaff mixed with it, to a field in which chairs and dar- t- excuse me, tares and darnel are mixed among the good corn, to a net in which both good fishes and bad are taken, Matthew 13, to a great house, wherein not only vessels of gold and silver, but of wood and of earth, 2 Timothy 2, verse 20. Second, because Christ will answer some at the last day who will say to him, Lord, Have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils? And have we not eaten and drunken at thy table? I know you not. This evidently shows that many have been members of the visible church whom Christ will not own at the last day. Matthew 7, verses 22 and 23. Third, from the parable of the ten virgins, five whereof were foolish, five wise. Matthew 25, verse 1. Fourth, from the parable of the banquet, wherein one was found at the table without a wedding garment. Matthew 22, verse 11. Fifth, because many are of the visible church who are not of the invisible church. 1 John 2, verse 19. Sixth, because the apostle calls the church of Corinth the church of Christ, notwithstanding of their gross enormities. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 11. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 2. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 7, 7, because Moses did acknowledge even those then to be members of the visible church, to whom yet he knew the Lord had not given ears to hear, nor eyes to see, nor a heart to understand the great and wonderful miracles which he wrought in their sight, 
Deuteronomy 29, verses 10, 11, 12, and 13, compared with the verses 2, 3, and 4. 8. Because John the Baptist did admit many thousands into the communion of the visible church without making a narrow search of their true grace and conversion. Matthew 3. 9. Because the apostles did instantly and without the delay of one day baptize all those that professed the Christian religion. Acts 2, verses 38 and 41. Acts 8, verse 12. John 3, verse 26. 10. Because the preaching of the gospel is appointed by God as an ordinary mean, no less for the conversion of men and women, than for the advancement of those in grace that are converted. Proverbs 9, verses 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18, 19, and 20. 2 Timothy 2, verses 24 and 25. 11. Because we are forbidden by the apostle to judge the spiritual state and condition of our neighbor. Romans 14, verse 4. 12. Because Christ did acknowledge Judas the thief and traitor as a member of his visible church, whom yet he foresaw to be the son of perdition. Matthew 26, verse 23. 13. Because Christ had a visible church on earth many hundred years before ever there was such cattle as Quakers in the world. Unless they will allege that the primitive Christians and all the saints since the Apostles' days have been their predecessors and claim kin to them as the Samaritans did to Jacob, who were truly descendant of the heathen, who were brought thither out of Assyria as the Quakers are descended from the enthusiasts in Germany about a hundred years since, as Nicholas Storkins, that's S-T-O-R-K-I-N-S, John Matthias, and John of Leiden, L-E-Y-D-E-N, notorious heretics, blasphemers, and bloody murderers. But how quite different the Quakers are to the primitive Christians and holy men of God then and since will evidently appear hence that they did not contemn these two great ordinances of the gospel instituted by Christ, vis-a-vis baptism and the Lord's Supper. They had bishops and deacons to govern and instruct them who were ordained to their functions by prayer and imposition of hands whom they did not revile with the ugly names of dumb dogs and hirelings. These primitive Christians had not in their assemblies women preachers as the Quakers have, which is downright contrary to Paul's injunctions, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 35. Neither were silent meetings ever heard of among the primitive Christians, nor did they ever, out of contempt, call churches, places appointed for the public worship of God, steeple houses, but reported to them for performing their devotions and service to God, as did our blessed Savior and his apostles, John 18, verse 20, Luke 4, verse 16, Acts 3, verse 1, Acts 8, verse 5. Do not likewise the Papists and Lutherans err, who will have none members of the visible church that are unbaptized? Yes. Do not lastly the Anabaptist heir who will have no infant members of the visible church? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because that God commanded infants and little ones should stand before him and should enter into covenant with him. Deuteronomy 29 verses 10 and 11. Second, because infants are called the people of God, no less than men and women come up to age. Deuteronomy 29, verses 11, 12, and 13. Third, because the promise of grace belongs to children as well as to parents. Acts 2, verse 39. Fourth, if children be not members of the visible church, they must be members of the visible kingdom of the devil, for there can be no midst. Ephesians 2, verses 12 and 13. And so there shall be no difference between the children of believers and the children of the Turks and pagans. Fifth, because infants under the Old Testament had right under the covenant of grace. Genesis 17, verses 7 and 12. And children of believers under the New Testament have lost no right to that covenant of grace which children under the Old Testament had seeing the covenant of grace now under the gospel is not more strictly and sparingly administered 
than long since under the law. Hebrews 8, verse 6. Romans 11, verse 12. 6. Because infants are commanded to join themselves to God's ordinances. Joel 2, verse 16. 7. Because if Christ, while an infant, was head of the visible church, then infants may be his members. But the first is true, from Isaiah 9, verse 6. Therefore the second must be true also. 8. Because they whom the false apostles would have to be circumcised after the manner of Moses, and therefore infants were called disciples. Acts 15, verse 10. Question 4. Is there any ordinary possibility of salvation out of the visible church? No. Acts 2, verse 47. Well then, do not the enthusiasts, Quakers, and Libertines err who affirm that any man may be a true Christian and be saved, though he live in no visible church? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because the Lord Jehovah in his visible church, ordinarily, commands the blessing, even life, forevermore. Psalm 133, verse 3. Second, because the visible church is the mother of all believers. Galatians 4, verse 26. By Jerusalem, which is above, I understand the true Christian church, which seeketh its salvation, not by the first covenant of the law, namely by the works of the law, but by the second of the gospel, namely by the merits of Christ embraced by a true faith, which hath its original from heaven by the powerful calling of the Holy Ghost. Third, because they that are without the visible church are without Christ. Ephesians 2, verse 12. Fourth, why are men and women joined to the visible church, but that they may be saved? Acts 2, verse 47. Fifth, because they that are without the visible church are destitute of the ordinary means of life and salvation. Psalm 142, verse 19 and 20. Question 5. Hath Christ given to this Catholic Church visible the ministry, oracles, and ordinances of God for the gathering and perfecting of the saints in this life to the end of the world? Yes. Shall there always be a church on earth to worship God according to His will? Yes. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28. Ephesians 4, verses 11, 12, and 13. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Matthew 26, verse 18. Psalm 72, verse 17, Psalm 102, verse 28, Isaiah 59, verse 21. Well then, do not the Socinians, Anabaptists, and Libertines err, who affirm that the visible church may fail and perish out of the world? Yes. Do not likewise the skeptics, commonly called seekers, err, who affirm that the whole universal church which hath been upon the earth and all religious worship, all external and outward preaching of the word, all administration of its sacraments, and the use of all other religious things have perished a little after the apostles' times and are not to this day restored until Christ from heaven shall send new apostles with an extraordinary commission for restoring and raising up again the visible church, and that in the meantime no man hath right or power to dispense the word, or administer the sacraments, or perform any ecclesiastical duty, and that they who are now called the preachers of, God, of the gospel are not so? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because, because the Lord hath promised that his church shall endure so long as the ordinances of heaven continue. Isaiah 66, verse 22. Second, because Christ hath promised that the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. Matthew 16, verse 18. Third, because there is no end to be put to the kingdom of Christ. Luke 1, verse 33. And therefore no end to his church. Isaiah 9, verse 7. Fourth, because glory will be to him in the church by Jesus, Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Ephesians 3, verse 21. Fifth, because Christ, who hath given power to his ministers to teach his church and to administer the sacraments, hath promised to be with them to the end of the world. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Sixth, because the Lord hath promised to preserve a people to himself 
to the end of the world which he shall rule and govern by his word and spirit Isaiah 59 verses 20 and 21 Isaiah 9 verses 6 and 7 7 because the Lord hath chosen Zion he hath desired it for his habitation where he will rest and dwell forever Psalm 132 verse 13 and 14 8 because Christ hath given some to be pastors and teachers for perfecting of the saints till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of God Ephesians 4 verse 14 and he hath appointed a ministry to continue after the apostles days as is evident from 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 where the apostle sets down the ordinary qualifications of ministers and the rules for calling them to the ministry Ninth, because there is a general rule set down for the government and discipline of Christ's church which discipline and order is to continue in it to the end of the world Matthew 18 verse 18 10th because the Lord commands that we forsake not the assembling of ourselves together and hath promised to bless after a special manner any that are gathered together in his name anywhere but our assembling for hearing the word of God is done in the name of Christ Hebrews 10 verse 25 Matthew tw- uh, 18 verse 20 Matthew 28 verse 20 11 because the death of Christ in the last supper is to be showed till he come 1 Corinthians 11 verse 26 12 because by the word even preached Romans 10:17 we are born again 1 Peter 1 verse 23 James 6 verse 18 by baptism we are in grafted into Christ Romans 6 verses 3 and 5 Galatians 3:27 In the Lord's Supper we have communion with Christ 1 Corinthians 10 verse 16 Question 6 Hath not the Catholic Church been sometimes more sometimes less visible Yes Romans 11 verses 3 and 4 Revelation 12 verses 5 and 14 well then, do not the papists err who affirm that the church hath been, is, and shall be most gloriously visible to all the whole world, far and nigh? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because the church of God in the prophet Elijah's time was brought to that pass that he thought none remained but himself. First Kings 19, verse 10. Romans 11 verse 2, 3, and 4. Second, because for a time Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without the law. Second Chronicles 15, verse 3. Third, because the Lord often complains that his church and people have forsaken him, have not known him, that the faithful city hath become a harlot, that scarce a man could be found to do justice and follow truth all which is inconsistent with that glorious condition of the visible church which the papists dream of Isaiah 1 verses 3 and 4 Jeremiah 2 verse 29 Jeremiah 5 verse 1 fourth because in the time of the ten persecutions the visible church was was much obscured and darkened and after these storms were over arose the Arians who did so much trouble the church of Christ as is clear from history fifth because two wings were given to the woman that is to the church of God two wings I say of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to hide herself Revelation 12 verse 14 sixth because the apostle Paul did foretell that general defection and apostasy of the visible church mentioned in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 3 Seventh, because Christ hath foretold that before his second coming he shall scarce find faith on the earth. Luke 18, verse 8. Eighth, because the church of God is always liable to trouble and persecutions while it sojourneth on this world, in this world. But troubles and persecutions do much obscure the brightness and splendor of a visible church. Luke 21, verse 17. John 16, verse 2. Psalm 129 verses 1, 2, and 3 Question 7 Are the purest churches under heaven subject both to mixture and error? Yes 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12 Revelation 2 and chapters 
2 and 3, Revelation 18, verse 2, Romans 11, 18 to 22. Well then, do not the papists err who affirm that the church cannot err, neither in matters absolutely necessary, neither in other things which it proposes to be done and believed by us? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because the visible church under the Old Testament oftentimes made defection to idolatry. Exodus 32, verse 8, Judges 3, verse 7. Second, because as long as we are here, we know but in part, and therefore we are subject and liable to mistakes. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 9 and 12. Third, because the seven churches of Asia, to whom John did write, are accused of mixture and errors. Revelation 2, verses 4 and 5. Fourth, because while Christ was here on earth, the disciples dreamed of a worldly kingdom, and for a time, even after his resurrection, they did believe it. Acts 1, verse 6. Fifth, because before the day of Christ be at hand, there shall be a falling away of the visible church from the true Orthodox faith to anti-Christianism, which in great part is already come to pass, and more than is come between this time and a second coming. Second Thessalonians 2, verse 3, Revelation 13, verse 3. 6. Because one of the chief differences between the church militant and the church triumphant is this, that the one can err, but not the other. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 9, 10, and 12. 7. Because Christ hath foretold that there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Matthew 24, verse 24. 8. Because when the Son of Man cometh, he shall scarce find faith on the earth. Luke 18, verse 8. Ninth, because the converted Jews erred in being zealous for the law, thinking that the ceremonial law ought yet to be observed, not understanding that the same was abolished by Christ. Acts 21, verse 20. So did the Galatians err in admitting circumcision. Galatians 1, 6. And the Corinthians in their abuse of the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 18. Question 8. Is there no other head of the visible church but the Lord Jesus Christ? No. Can the Pope of Rome in any sense be the head thereof? No. First, uh, excuse me, Colossians 1 verse 18 and Ephesians 1 verse 22. Well then, do not the Popish church err, which maintains that not only Christ is the universal head of the church, but that there is another visible head under him, who say they is the Pope of Rome, Christ's vicar, or deputy under him. Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because as not many husbands, but one only is the head of the wife, so Christ only is head of the church. Ephesians 5, verse 23. Second, because the church is espoused to one only, namely to Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. Third, because the church is the body of Christ only. Ephesians 1, verse 22 and 23. Fourth, because among all ecclesiastical orders instituted and appointed by Christ, we do not read of such a creature as a universal vicar of Christ. Ephesians 4, verse 11. Fifth, because the church is one body only, unless it be a monster, but one body cannot have two heads. Romans 7, verse Excuse me, Romans 12, verses 4 and 5. 6. Because Christ only can inspire or breathe in vigor, sense, motion, or spiritual life into his members. Ephesians 5, verses 29 and 30. John 6, verses 48, 50, and 51. John 15, verses 1 and 2. 7. Because there must not be lordship and sovereignty among them that are under Christ their head and Lord. Luke 22, verse 25, 1 Peter 5, verses 2 and 3. 8. If the Pope be not so much as a bishop of a particular church, he cannot be universal bishop. The first is true because he doth not perform the office of a bishop, which is set down. 1 Timothy 3, verse 2, 
Titus 1, verses 7, 8, and 9. Do not likewise the Erastians and others as Arminian err, who make the supreme magistrate the head of the church? By what reasons? Yes, they do. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because the Protestant religion, as it is contained in the harmony of confessions, especially in the Confession of Faith, recorded in the First Parliament of King James VI, lately ratified and confirmed, doth not acknowledge any supreme head or governor in the church, neither angel, man, pope, prince, nor potentate, save the Lord Christ, from whom alone all subordinate power and authority is derived to the officers of his own church. Second, because if the supreme magistrate be a church officer, he must derive his power from Christ and must be a spiritual and ecclesiastic head and governor and not a civil only. And if such, then Christ hath devolved his own place and office upon him, which is without scripture proof. Third, because if the supreme magistrate be head of the church, he must have a right to this title, either by human law or a divine warrant. Laws of a nation cannot make him head of the church, because such laws cannot make him an ecclesiastical and spiritual officer. There is no divine warrant or commission from Christ, as is clear from Matthew 18, verse 17. From the epistle to Timothy and Titus, from Ephesians 4, verse 11, Romans 12, verses 7 and 8, and from 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28. Question 9. Is the Pope that Antichrist, that man of sin and son of perdition, that exalteth himself in the church of God against Christ and all that is called God? Yes. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3, 4, 8, and 9. Revelation 13, verse 6, and Matthew 23, verses 8, 9, and 10. Though this be denied by the Church of Rome, yet the true description of Antichrist agrees to him. First, because he is not one single man, but an order and race of men succeeding to one another in that same state and office which you will see by comparing 1 John 4, verse 3, 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 7 and 8, together. Second, his coming in after the manner of Satan. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 9. Third, as to his name, he calls himself a Christian, but in very truth an adversary to Christ, and by consequence one that denies Jesus to be the Christ. Revelation 17, verse 14. Revelation 19, verse 19. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 8, 1 John 2, verse 23. Fourth, he sitteth in the temple of God as God, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 4. Fifth, he ruleth in the great city and exercises dominion over the kings of the earth. Sixth, he deceiveth them that dwell on the earth with lying wonders and miracles, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 9. Revelation 13, verses 14 and 15. 7. He causes all sorts of persons to receive his mark on their right hand or on their forehead. Revelation 13, verses 16 and 17. 8. To him agrees what Paul says, And now you know what withholdeth, namely the Roman emperor, that he might be revealed in his time. 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 6 and 7. Chapter 26 of the Communion of Saints. Question 1. Are the saints bound by profession to maintain a holy fellowship and communion in the worship of God in performing such other spiritual duties as tend to their mutual edification? Yes. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. Acts 2, verses 42 and 46. Isaiah 2, verse 3. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20. Well then, do not the Donatists of old and separatists now err who maintain that hypocrites and wicked men do pollute and defile the worship of God, not only to themselves but also to others that worship with them, and that therefore we must separate from communion in the worship of God because of them? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, 
because the church of the Jews in Christ's time was very corrupt, Matthew 15, verse 7, Mark 6, verses 7 and 8. And yet both his practice and his command, he would not have his hearers to separate from it. For he both observed the feast and preached in their synagogues. John 8, verse 1, Luke 4, verse 15, John 10, verse 22. And he commands his hearers to observe what the scribes and Pharisees bade them do. Matthew 23, verse 23. Third, second, because the apostle is so far from commanding separation from the church of Corinth that he praises their meetings. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 4. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 23. Notwithstanding with the many gross scandals which were among them. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 11, 12, and 13. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 and 2. And 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 and 13. Third, because the Apostle calls the Galatians the Church of Christ, brethren, and the children of God, who were yet, in some measure, removed from God to another gospel. Nay, says Paul, O foolish or senseless Galatians, who hath bewitched you, that is, so blinded the eyes of your understanding that you cannot see the right truth, as the jugglers between the outward eyes, that men think they see that which they see not, that ye should not obey the truth. Galatians 3, verse 1. And yet, since it was a constitute true church, it was his judgment there should be no separation from it, notwithstanding of all the foresaid faults. This ends side one. Please turn the tape over and continue listening on side two. Thank you. Fourth, because the church of Ephesus was a true church, though they made defection from their first love, so was the church of Pergamus, though there were in it who held the doctrine of Balaam. So was the church of Thyatira, notwithstanding that they suffered Jezebel, that called herself a prophetess, and taught the servants of Christ to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Fifth, if we must separate from the communion of the church and things lawful for the faults of others, or for the faults of ministers, and if their sins pollute the worship of God to others, then we must not keep communion with any church, seeing that can hardly be a church where there are not some hidden hypocrites, nay, where there are not some who are known to be such by the minister. Yet such are not to be excluded as Christ himself teaches. Matthew 13, verses 24 to 31. See verses 47 and 48 of the same chapter. Six, if the worship be polluted to some for the faults of others with whom they worship, then must the word and sacraments have their efficacy and worth from the persons that worship and from the dispensers of them, which is absurd. Seven, because wicked and evil men do not pollute the worship to others, but to themselves only, as it appears from the man that wanted the wedding garden. Matthew 22, verse 11, And from those who did eat and drink unworthily at the Lord's table, such do not eat and drink damnation to others, but to themselves. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 27 and 29. Question 2. Doth this communion which the saints have with Christ make them in any wise partakers of the substance of his Godhead or equal with him in any respect? No. Is there a mixture of the divine essence with the substance of all the creatures because the divine essence is infinite and everywhere present? No. Doth every regenerate man that is united with God by virtue of this union become God the maker of heaven and earth? No. Are all the acts of a man's will and all his actions, even his most cursed and wicked actions, wholly divine, which to resist and contradict is rebellion against God? No. John 1 verse 14, Colossians 1 verses 18 and 19. Well then, do not the familists err who teach that the saints are made God and Christ by an essential and corporal union with them? Yes. Do not likewise the Manichaeans err who blasphemously teach that the divine essence was mingled with the soul and body of every man and that therefore all his actions were wholly divine? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? 
First, because the personal union is given to none but to Christ only. John 1, verse 14. The Word was made flesh, that is, a true man, like unto us in all things, yet without sin. Second, because in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, namely, by an essential inhabitation of the Son of God in the human nature, by the uniting of his divine nature with the human in the unity of his person. Bodily, that is, personally, essentially, and truly. Third, because the union of the saints with Christ is by faith, not indeed by a personal union. Ephesians 3, verse 17. Fourth, because there is no man that sinneth not. 1 John 1, verses 8 and 10. Fifth, because God's essence is most simple and single, and infinitely above and beyond all creatures. Exodus 3, verse 14. Six, because holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. Isaiah 6, verse 3. Seventh, because Solomon in his prayer says, Behold, the heavens of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house which I have built to thy name. 1 Kings 8, verse 27. Eight, because the prophet Isaiah says, Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket, and are as the smallest dust of the balance esteemed. Isaiah 40, verse 15. Ninth, because the Manichaean's heir is the outmost stretch of Satan's invention, beyond which he is not able to go. They deserve not computation, but to be looked upon as devils incarnate. Question 3. Doth not the communion of saints, which they have one with another, take away or infringe the title or property which each man hath in his own goods and possessions? No. Acts 5, verse 4. Exodus 25, verse 14. Ephesians 5, verse 28. Well then, do not the Anabaptists err, who affirm that the goods and possessions of the saints ought to be in common? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because in the time of the primitive church no man was obliged out of necessity to deliver his goods. Neither did believers lose their right and property which they had to them. Acts 5 verse 4. Second, because the eighth command, which is of perpetual use to all men, supposeth a distinction and propriety of goods. For if all goods were common, it were impossible to steal. Third, because there should be no giving of alms, there should be no hospitality, which is contrary to the Apostle. Ephesians 4, verse 28, and Hebrews 13, verse 2. Chapter 27 of the Sacraments Question 1. Are the sacraments holy signs and seals of the covenant of grace, immediately instituted by God to represent Christ and His benefits, and to confirm our interest in Him? Yes. Do the sacraments put a visible difference between those that belong unto the church and the rest of the world? Yes. Do the sacraments solemnly engage men and women to the service of God in Christ according to His Word? Yes. Romans 4, verse 11, Genesis 17, verses 7 and 10, Matthew 28, verse 19, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16, 1 Corinthians 11, verses 25 and 26, Galatians 3, verse 7, Romans 15, verse 8, Exodus 12, verse 48, Genesis 34, verse 14, Romans 6, verses 3 and 4, and 1 Corinthians 10, verses 16 and 21. Well then, do not the Sicinians err with the Anabaptists who maintain that the sacraments are not seals of the covenant of grace instituted by God to represent Christ and his benefits, but only bear tokens and tests of our Christian profession? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because circumcision is expressly called a sign or seal of the righteousness of faith. Romans 4, verse 11. Now, if circumcision was a seal and sign, why ought not baptism and the Lord's Supper to be signs and seals also? Second, because the names and properties of the things signified are given to the sacramental signs. Thus, circumcision is called the covenant, 
Genesis 17, verse 10. The bread is called the body of Christ, Matthew 26, verse 26. And baptism is called the washing of regeneration, Titus 3, verse 5. For no other reasons but because they represent and confirm things spiritual to believers. Third, because the cup of blessing in the sacrament is the communion of the blood of Christ, the bread is the communion of the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. Fourth, because the sacraments bring into our memories Christ and his benefits, and therefore, as it were, they set him before our eyes to increase and confirm our faith, 1 Corinthians 11, verses 24 and 25. Question two. Is the grace which is exhibited in or by the sacraments rightly used, conferred by any power in them? No. Romans 2, verse 28 and 29, 1 Peter 3, verse 21. Well then, do not the Papists and Lutherans err who maintain that the sacraments of themselves are true, immediate, and effectual causes of our justification and give life? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because the Holy Scripture attributes our justification to faith only as an instrumental cause and to no other thing. Romans 1.17, Romans 3.28, Galatians 2.16. And therefore the sacraments cannot be the efficient causes of our justification in life. Second, because the Scripture makes an express difference between the work of a man dispensing the sacraments and the work of the Holy Ghost. Matthew 3, verse 11. Third, because signs and seals of grace cannot confer effectual grace, but the sacraments are but signs and seals of grace. Because to signify and to have virtue and power to do differ in nature and in kind. Fourth, because many are partakers of the sacraments who are not yet partakers of the grace of God, as Simon Magus. Acts 8, verse 13. Ananias and Sapphira, Acts 5, verses 4 and 9. And how many thousands do eat and drink unworthily, drinking and eating damnation to themselves? 1 Corinthians 11, verse 29. Fifth, because many have been justified before they did partake of a sacrament, as Abraham, Romans 4, verse 11, and Cornelius with his fellows, Acts 10, verse 46. Question 3. Doth the efficacy of a sacrament depend upon the piety or intention of him that doth administer it? No. Matthew 3, verse 11, and 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. Well then, do not the Donatist and Anabaptist err who maintain that the sacraments dispensed by a wicked and graceless minister are of no virtue or efficacy? Yes. Do not also others nowadays err who are not far from the same opinion? Yes. Do not lastly the papist heir who maintain that to the perfection of a sacrament, the actual intention of the minister, at least, his virtual intention of doing that which the church doth, is necessary. Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because Judas, who was a thief and a traitor, did, according to the command of Christ, baptize as well as the rest. Yea, Christ never called in question his baptism. Second, because the efficacy of the word doth not depend upon the piety, goodness, worthiness, or good intention of the instruments. Philippians 1, verse 16. Therefore, neither doth the efficacy of a sacrament depend upon the intention of him that doth administer it. Third, if the efficacy of baptism depend upon the good intention of the minister, then no Christian could be sure that he is baptized, seeing no man can be sure of or know the minister's intention. Fourth, because the operation and efficacy of the sacraments depend upon the operation of the Holy Ghost and the word of institution. Matthew 3, verse 11, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. Fifth, because the papists themselves cannot be sure that the bread in the Eucharist is transubstantiated into the body of Christ, and therefore in their adoration and falling down to the host they commit most damnable idolatry in worshiping that which is neither God nor any divine thing. I say they cannot be sure because the priest's intention may be deficient while he is consecrating the bread. 
Question 4. Are there only two sacraments ordained by Christ in the Gospel? I answer, two only, namely baptism and the Lord's Supper. Matthew 28, verse 19, and 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20 and 23. Well then, do not the Romanist heir who makes seven sacraments by adding to baptism and the Lord's Supper, confirmation, penance, extreme unction, ordination, and matrimony? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because no other sacraments, save baptism and the Lord's Supper, are instituted by Christ in all the Holy Scripture. Second, because the description and definition of a sacrament, as you will find it in the first question, doth agree only to baptism and the Lord's Supper. Third, because Christ was a co-partner in the share of baptism and the Lord's Supper, which in his own person he did sanctify, and by them did testify and profess his communion with his people of the New Testament, but never was a sharer of any of these five bastard sacraments. Question 5. May baptism and the Lord's Supper be dispensed by any but a minister of the word, lawfully ordained? No. Matthew 28, verse 19, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20 and 23, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1, Hebrews 5, verse 4. Well then, do not the Anabaptist heir who maintain that the sacraments may be dispensed and administered by any believer? Yes. Do not likewise the Papist and Lutherans heir who maintain that it is lawful for laity or women to administer the sacraments of baptism in case of necessity? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because Christ gave the power of dispensing the sacraments to them only to whom he gave the power of preaching. Matthew 28, verse 19. But the power of preaching is not given to all men. Hebrews 5, verse 4. Second, because all that ever did dispense the sacrament of baptism in the New Testament were either called ordinarily or extraordinarily, as is evident from the examples of John the Baptist and the disciples of Christ. From the example of Peter, Acts 2.41. From the example of Philip, Acts 8, verse 38. From the example of Ananias, Acts 9, verse 18. From the example of Paul and Silas, Acts 16, verse 15 and 33. Third, because it is unlawful for any man to affix the king's seal to a charter or letter's patent, unless he be a person authorized and deputed by the king for that use. But the sacraments are seals of the covenant between God and his people, Romans 4, verse 11. Fourth, because women are not permitted to speak publicly in the church, therefore they have no power to dispense the sacrament of baptism. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34, 1 Timothy 2, verse 12. Fifth, because the adversaries grant that it is unlawful to women or laity to administer the Lord's Supper, therefore it is unlawful for them to administer baptism. No just cause or reason of disparity can be given. Six, because the benefit of regeneration is not tied, as the adversaries may dream, to the outward baptism, as is clear and evident from the conversion of the thief on the Christ, excuse me, the thief on the cross, and from 1 Peter 3, verse 21. Therefore, there is no such necessity of baptism as the Papists and Lutherans do fancy. Question 6. Are the sacraments of the Old Testament in regard of the spiritual things thereby signified and exhibited the same for substance with those of the new? Yes. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. Well then, do not the Papists and Lutherans err who maintain that the difference between the sacraments of the Old Testament and the new consist in this, that those did delineate and shadow forth grace these contain offer and confer grace. Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because the Apostle, 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1, 2, and 3, expressly says that the cloud and the passing through the Red Sea did signify these things to the Jews, which baptism signified to us. Second, because the sacraments of the Old and New Testament did signify and seal up the same righteousness of faith. Romans 4, verse 11. Third, because the scripture applieth to believers under the Old Testament the sacraments of the New. 
1 Corinthians 10, verses 1, 2, and 3. And on the other hand, the Scriptures applieth the sacraments of the New Testament to believers under the Old, which is not done by reason of the sign, for the signs are diverse and different. Therefore, it must be done by reason of the things signified. And by consequence, the sacraments of the Old Testament must agree in the things signified with the sacraments of the New. Fourth, because the sacraments of both testaments agree in the word of promise, Genesis 17, verse 7, Acts 2, verse 38 and 39, Romans 4, verses 11, 12, and 13, and Galatians 3, verse 20. This ends tape number 9 of Truth Victory Over Error by David Dixon. Please go to the next tape in the series and continue listening. Thank you. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources, as well as SWRB's complete mail-order catalog, containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, T6L 3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to add at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. This book, Truth's Victory Over Air by David Dixon, is also available from Stillwater's Revival Books in soft cover format at a discount in our A to Z author listings. And please, don't forget to look over the 62 CDs that make up our Reformation and Puritan Bookshelf CD sets if you visit our website at swrb.com, as these CDs are a great way to build a major reform library at a fraction of the cost of the printed books.